You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. This is a great day to be here at Foothills Church. This is the first time you've ever been here. I'm glad you have decided to join us today. I've been in Jerusalem for the last uh, 10 days, so I'm a little jet lagged, but I am a different person. Uh, It was absolutely incredible, and I can't wait to share with you guys over the course of the next several weeks and really the rest of my life uh, how God uh, used that trip. But uh, I'm excited about today because today uh, we start a brand new series. It's our emphasis for missions for the next several weeks as we focus on uh, the mission of God and, and the partnerships that we have as a church to make a difference in our world. And so the concept is make some noise. And, and the idea for us is, is, is that, uh, and the reason why I love this theme is that for far too long, the church has been silent. The church has been and, and has become boring. The church has become shallow. The church has become just like the rest of the world. And it's time for us to make a difference. It's time for us as the bride of Christ, the gathered church today to make some noise. And so we do that in a number of ways. And for the next several weeks, we're gonna show you some very practical ways to do that. Now, the typical kind of thing that happens in the church world is that when we do decide to make noise, it's usually an irritating uh, noise of condemnation uh, to our society. And then people shake their heads and they say, there goes those Christians again. And so the concept for us is, is that we wanna make the right kind of noise in our culture. The kind of noise that stirs up a curiosity for Jesus a kind of noise that stirs up a love for Jesus and, 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 and a love for Jesus that actually is in intangible, applicable ways in our cities and in our world all around us. And so when we say make some noise, we're doing the same thing our forefathers did in the city of Jerusalem, you know, 2,000 years ago after the resurrection of Jesus. It's the story that, that our forefathers here, even in America, came here to do, which is to be able to practice this faith and live this faith out. And so we want to make some noise. Now, the right kind of noise demonstrates the power of Jesus, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when you are in the context of that kind of noise, man, it generates some energy and some momentum. Think about it. When you're in, in an environment, let's just say, for example, if you were at the game yesterday. So you're in Neyland Stadium. Uh, maybe you've been there uh, this, this year and the crowds have been amazing. So you've got 100,000 plus uh, orange and white decked out fans, right? And the band is playing The band separates and makes the tea. You've already had your food, by the way, because you've already tailgated and you're you're pumped and ready to go. You know, the tea forms and out comes the coach and the team and Rocky Top is playing and everybody is singing and everybody is cheering and 100,000 plus fans are there and it's just like chills, right? I mean, the energy and the momentum of the game because there are so many people making the right kind of noise. It generates energy. And so when we assemble as the bride of Christ, our bond together goes much deeper than any sporting event. 
not only does it go deeper, but it's much richer, it's much stronger, and it's way more important than any sport that we could ever invent. And so at church, we, you know, we want to have fun. We want to yell and cheer for Jesus. We do that after every song. We, 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 we cheer. We make a joyful noise as Psalm 100. Some of you make a, a joyful sound. Some of us make a joyful noise um, uh, and to the Lord, and that's okay. Um, but we, we're, we're called to do this because a, a noise like this stirs up a, a commotion. It really breaks the silence. And, and, and as a church and as a people, we don't want to be silent about the gospel and what Christ has done in our life. And so that's what this series is all about. How can we do that? How can we, in practical ways, make some noise and stir up? the people around us to see and to want this Jesus that we have. Now, in in Mark chapter four, I'm not gonna read it, but Jesus comes onto the scene and he breaks the silence. For over 400 years, God has been silent. The book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi was the last Old Testament uh, writing. And so from, from the close of that scripture until Jesus comes on the scene, approximately 400 years have passed. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he starts preaching and teaching and healing the sick in Galilee. And as he's doing all of these things, there's a commotion and people begin to follow him and he, he stirs up and he makes a noise and people give their life to him and they find freedom in him because he breaks the silence and the crowds gather. If you've got your Bibles, I want us to look at Matthew 25 today. As we start, we're going to look at very very important passages in scripture all throughout this series. And then we're just gonna have to decide what are we gonna do with them? Because so often we read these passages and we nod our heads in approval and yet we walk out the back doors and and we don't apply it to our life and we don't actually follow what Christ is calling us to do. But in Matthew 25, we've got a very powerful passage and we're gonna begin here in verse 31 in just a second. But just to set up the context here, Chapter 24, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and the disciples are asking him, they say, Jesus, what's it gonna look like when the end of time takes place? When are you gonna come in all of your glory? When when is the end of the age gonna come? And so Jesus begins to talk about the end times and his second coming and what that's gonna look like. And so they're on top of the Mount of Olives. And, and, And so having just come from there, let me set this up. So like the Mount of Olives is on a, on a mountain and then there's a valley called the Kidron Valley. And then right, up, right across the way is, is Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is on top of a hill. So it's on top of a mountain as well. And so it's a beautiful view from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. And you see the city wall all the way around the city. And what you see from the Mount of Olives is the Eastern Gate. Now, what's important about the Eastern Gate is that at this time, it's sealed. It's, it's closed up. It's bricked up. And the reason for this is because of an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, Go back and read um, Ezekiel 43 and you can kind of tie all this together. But Ezekiel 43 talks about the Son of Man coming in in, in all of his glory. And and he's going to return to Jerusalem. And when he does, he's going to enter through the eastern gate. And so in the 1500s, knowing this prophecy, the Ottoman Empire, I believe, sealed the gate because they didn't want to have any Jewish, uh, you know, 
prophet or anyone coming back through the city gates. And to top it off, years later, when the Muslims kind of took over the area, they actually uh, dug graves there and they put, a, they put a Muslim grave right on the other side of the Eastern gate, thinking that a Jewish man would never defile himself by walking over uh, Muslim graves. And so that's kind of what they think. But our scripture teaches us different. He's gonna come in all of his glory You know, the trumpet is going to sound and he is going to enter through the Eastern gate and and, and he's gonna come back for his bride, his church. And so it is in that context as they are talking about the second coming on the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem and the Eastern gate in particular, it's right there, it's massive. He says this, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did, it, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. So as Jesus returns, he's separating us just like a shepherd would separate his flock. And so in Jerusalem, they would have sheep and they would have goats all in pasture taking care of the flock. And at some point they would have to separate them, maybe to go shear the sheep or maybe it was a time to sacrifice. And so they would have to separate the goats from the sheep. So the, so the guys would understand his language here. And so Jesus says, I'm coming back. I'm gonna separate the sheep from the goats. And so the sheep are those who actually follow me and actually have done and are doing what I've commanded them to do. They've made some noise in a sense. They've, they've served the hungry. They've helped those who are in need. In compassion, they have given and sacrificed of themselves and they have served their brother and their sister in need. And the sheep are like, wait a minute, when did we help you, Jesus? When did this happen? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. And then he turns to the other side and, 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 and he says, you didn't. And they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. Like if we saw you hungry, we would have fed you. If we saw you in need, we would have done that for you. But he says, depart from me because you never served the least of these. So this is a very practical passage of scripture here. So the point is that when we serve our brother in compassion, we're serving our Lord. So this is where we are actually doing the commands of Jesus. We are actually serving others. 
and in compassion, out of love, we're making noise, making the gospel like tangible. Jesus has changed me. I want others to experience this change. And so this is what it means to follow Jesus. And too long we've been silent and too long we've put blinders on and we might watch the news and we shake our head and, and think somebody ought to do something. So when will the bride of Christ stand up and say, okay, I will do something. And that's what this series is about. And today in a very practical way, you can do that. You can make a difference. You can make some noise. So today our focus is on a ministry called Compassion. And what Compassion does is all over the world, they're connecting sponsors with children who are in poverty. And so if you'll remember earlier this year, I went over to uh, Kenya and I, I went over there because I wanted to check out this ministry because really when you think about it, sponsoring children and feeding programs are a dime a dozen, right? So who can you trust, you know? How do you know if this one really is going to these kids and how do you know it? So I went because we wanted to make sure if we're gonna partner and we're gonna hold up a ministry and say, hey guys, you can trust this ministry. I wanted to see it for myself. And so, so we did. And, and I was absolutely blown away by what God is doing through this organization. Um, what we have in the parking lot is called the Compassion Experience. And so what they do inside of this is, is they make it look and feel just like a, a third world country so that a child who is uh, in need, actually this is kind of his story and journey. So you put on headphones and you, you have an iPod and this, this child is telling his story as you walk through different rooms of, of his life and, and how God has, has impacted him through this ministry. So it's, it's an incredible experience. If you've not done it today, I encourage you guys to go out and take a, take a walk through it. But as we partner with this ministry, I, I want us to keep in mind that like it's $38 to sponsor a kid. And so, so when we do this, yeah, we're feeding these kids when we do this, but, but we're doing more than feeding them. When we sponsor a child, we're, we're allowing them to have clothes. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. And, and, and they get some clothes and we're allowing them to have education when we sponsor a child and that's great. And, and, and that's a part of how they, their, their ministry operates. But for me, Above all else, what this ministry is doing in an incredible way is that when we sponsor a child, we are allowing that entire family to experience the hope of Jesus Christ in a very dark and broken world for them. Because poverty is, 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 is rampant all over our world. And so so how do we eradicate that? How do we, how do we share and shed light into those very dark and impoverished areas? Well, this is a very practical way for us to do this. Um, the relational side of compassion is what also was very impactful for me because they have, once a, a child is in their program in ministry, what they do is they partner with churches. So that's important. They're not just, you know, white Americans over there running programs. They are working through the local churches and they are empowering the local people to actually do the ministry. So, so it's creating jobs. It's allowing the locals to do the ministry. And, and, and on top of that, that they have... In their, in their program, they've got people who are pouring into these kids every week. The gospel and what it means to be a leader in the church and what it means to, to follow Christ. And so this is, this is a huge spiritual impact in their life. But not only that, the relational side for us, for you and I, when we partner, when we sponsor, we actually develop a relationship with this family as well because we can send letters to these kids and these kids can send letters to us. 
and we can share life with them and they share their life with us. And so there's this relational component that's incredible. And we've got three areas in particular. We've got uh, kids from Kenya out there. We've got kids from the DR, Dominican Republic. We've got kids from Haiti. And so we do that because where do we as a church go on mission trips? We go to the DR, we go to Haiti, and this year we're going to Kenya. And so there is a very real possibility that someday if you go on a mission trip um, and plan far enough ahead that you can actually meet these kids. I was with my brother in Kenya and he met his, his son that he's been sponsoring. It was just a beautiful thing. Every kid that I went to, I was, I was blown away by the detail. They have a folder. They talk about, you know, the, the money that was sent to them. What was, what was used with that money? They talk about their, their health checks and their health screening. They talk about uh, their grades and how they're doing in school. And so all of this is, it's, it's just mind-blowing how organized the whole entire system was. I went into some of the homes of the kids that were, that were being sponsored by uh, people all over the world. It's not just Americans. It's, you know, Europe, Canada, all over the world, people are sponsoring and, and working in this ministry, serving this in this way. And every one of the kids, they had in their little shack, they had a little area where they had, they had taken some, uh, a letter or two or a postcard or a picture that their sponsor had sent them. And they had it taped up on their wall. Why? Because for them, this is the person that God used in their life to change their life. It's, it's helping the least of these. And so, and so as we think about this today, I've invited um, a man by the name of Richmond, who is uh, a man that has actually uh, gone through the entire ministry as a child. And he's going to share his story today. And so I'm going to invite him to the stage. But before he comes, I want us to take a look at this video. It was lunchtime. We were sitting around a table and we were all holding hands. And my father was praying for the lunch that we were about to eat. But there was only one problem. <laughs> Our table was empty. My earliest recollections is finding myself at the age of five, roaming the streets, eating from dumpsters. We were not able to have food at all. We were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty. No toilets. A lot of crime. No running water. Rape for children. If you want to be out of poverty, then you have to deal with drugs. Some of my friends were actually sold into prostitution. Kids dying for preventable causes. And as darkness engulfs the place, the devil takes over. One day, my father was murdered right next to my mother. And I knew that moment that my life had changed. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation. My relatives would always tell me, Michelle, you are so ugly. You will become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me. Poverty had told me I am hopeless, I am nothing, and I believed that. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened. One Sunday morning, my Aunt Carol, she's the only Christian person that I know during that time, she woke me up and said that we have to go to this church and she registered me. What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. And he told me, you are my first friend outside my continent. She said words like, Richmond, I love you. 
and that lightened me up. My sponsor told me, Michelle, you are beautiful, you are precious to us, and we love you. And her words touched the very depth of my heart and soul. 18 years later, here I am, a child rescued from hopelessness by a young person. My life was changed. My life was changed. My life was changed. by a teenager who sponsored me. One teenager changed my life. She was 15 years old. Her name is Ashley. Her name was Heather. I called her mom. My name is Michelle. My name is Tony. My name is Jimmy. My name is Richmond. And one act saved my life. And one act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? The choice is yours. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. From poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Isn't it amazing that God knew before the foundations of the earth that I, Richmond Wandera, from Eastern Uganda, a distant country at the Horn of Africa, would be standing here this very morning testifying of the goodness of God, testifying of his mighty works across the nations of the earth to you. The Lord knew that. My name is Richmond Wander, and I come from Kampala, Uganda. I get to share my story with you. First, let me introduce you to my family. I have five siblings and a mother. My father is not in the picture. I loved my father very much. One of the fondest memories I have of him was when we jumped onto a pickup truck with his friends and we were going to cheer him as he was in soccer, very, very involved in soccer. And I remember him slamming the, the side of the pickup as, as the whole team was just so full of energy going to watch soccer. Now soccer is not a big deal here, but in Uganda, it is the big deal. And so I remember him coming back home after he had won and then he paused like this and said, all five of us, let us jump on him. So I held his right hand and my sister held this and then everyone, I told my mom, latch on his back and he said, I'm gonna pull you guys all up. And he struggled, but then he was able to carry all of us up. My father was taken away from us. At the age of eight, I arrived home from school, only to find commotion right in front of our house. I would learn later on that my mother was standing right in the presence of my dad when he was murdered. That very morning, things changed. After laying my father to rest, we came back home to a new life. My mother, she was not educated. They didn't value educating the girl child at her time. Her heart was now weak. She had seen my father fall, and, and that was it. 
The last thing she remembers was my father closing his eyes. She collapsed, the people who rushed her to the hospital were able to return her this time with, in her right sense. But now we came home to a new life. It was not long after that, five of my siblings and myself and my mom, we are now trying to figure out what's life gonna look like. We're already missing our dad. But before that could happen, we had this knock on the door. It was our landlord saying to us, you know you can no longer live here. That single statement would send us to the second largest slum in East Africa. Only second to the Kabira slum of Kenya. The slum that we went to was a slum called Naguru, which was two miles from where we lived before. I can tell you that from the time my mom said, we've got to leave, I, five of my siblings, we carried whatever we could. And we began heading to this slum called Naguru. That was probably the longest journey of my life. I'll tell you why. Naguru had a reputation, a forgotten community. 19,000 families living in one valley. Houses, small, 10 by 10, some 12 by 12, lined up and gullies of all kinds of things going through. When it rains, Naguru is a disaster. Everyone is scared. Parents are scared for their kids because any disease might break up any time. So you, whether it's cholera, whether it's malaria, whether it's dysentery, whether it is diarrhea, when it rains, Naguru is a big mess. Call it the forgotten community. And now we were heading to Naguru. I remember my mom arriving at this 12 by 12 structure that she'd found. My mom said, this is going to be home. I remember entering the structure and looking around and then I looked up and I found that on our tin roof, there's what pierced through like light rays. And I said, you know, what happens when it rains? I was soon to find out because the rains came. If it rained during the day, we were not so bad because we aligned our buckets in which we washed our clothes with these droppings and that was, that was fine. But if it rained during the night, and the reason I remember this is because those were many long nights of our life. My mom, when it rained in the night, just told us, wake up, we roll our beddings, which were right in the middle of the, of the 12 by 12, and then we roll them on the side, align the buckets, but now it's night. So we stood on the side and looked at each other and just hoped that this rain will go away. Rain brings all kinds of memories to me. Because every time that thunder rolled, I knew that might be a long night. Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, my mom announced to us, there is no more money for food. That single announcement, which what began as visits to the street, became a lifestyle. We wake up in the morning and just go hoping that we'll find something to eat. We joined the hundreds of kids who have lost parents, who are orphaned, whose parents have decided to abandon them. We joined them on the street and we walk around trying to find some way to survive. But something else was happening. Invisible poverty had begun to take a hold of me. Let me explain what I mean by invisible poverty. Poverty in my mind has two sides. There is physical poverty. 
which I think many people around the world understand. If I told you randomly, describe poverty, I don't know how you would describe poverty. You'd probably say, poverty is the lack of food. It's a lack of clothing. It's a lack of a roof over your head. Poverty is when you can't afford your medical support. Well, I have news for you. There is something much worse than that. The invisible side of poverty, the psychological power of poverty. It's what tells a child you are nothing. You are forgotten. I remember reading Mother Teresa's comments and as I was reading her, her part of what she was writing and published on the internet, I found this statement. Mother Teresa concluded that being unloved, being unwanted, uncared for, being forgotten is a much greater poverty than the lack of food. I thought to myself, huh? Mother Teresa had seen the worst of poverty, but yet she concluded that feeling forgotten, being unloved, being uncared for, that sense that I am nothing is a much greater poverty than the lack of food. And I can tell you, I know what she meant from experience. Because when I was on that street, feeling forgotten, that is when I felt poor. You couldn't explain to me about a God who loves me in that state. But right in the middle of that desperation, when we hit the bottom rock, with disease closing in around us, I got sick of malaria over 12 times in my life, coming to near death situations. But right in the middle of that desperation, my mom, she asked for help. She went to compassion. And pictures of us were taken and brought abroad. And they said, pray that someone stops to sponsor you. When that happens, we'll let you know. Long story short, three months later, David, who was the compassion worker, came to our home with good news. David announced to us that Richmond had got a sponsor. A 15-year-old girl called Heather had decided to sponsor me. I cannot find the words to describe the dancing that filled our home at that news. See, I come from the Bagisu tribe, and the Bagisu tribe, this is how we do it. We dance using our shoulders. And the women come in usually with ululation, sounds like this. Now, that's me doing it. If you hear my mom do it, okay? The pitch is so loud. When you hear it, you know, that's good news. And when we started dancing in our home, it would follow when I arrived at the Compassion Project. David said to me, you can now go back to school. He said to me, your name is now going to be at the family clinic. Anytime you fall sick, you run to the family clinic, they'll take care of you and don't worry about the bill. Next week, come and you'll get your mosquito net. And very quickly, things began to change. I began to say, my life is different now. I can be a child again. The Lord would use the love that I received from a 15-year-old girl to change my life completely. I was accessed to a local church where compassion was centered. Compassion works through the local church. And there I met a man called Pastor Peter, who was the pastor of that church. Long story short, I was a child struggling with this unforgiveness and bitterness for this man who killed my dad because he was walking free in the community. Pastor Peter would 
bring me under his wing. He would lead me to the Lord five years later. And today, I am the pastor of the very church that I joined as a compassion child. The Lord has done what only he can do. Throughout my upbringing, throughout the Compassion Project, I learned various things. One was to take care of my responsibilities in the community. And I knew that I was going to grow up to serve many of these 19,000 families. But two, I was given a chance for education. Heather sponsored me through. Let me put it this way. The child that was on the street, stripped of dignity and hope, feeling lost and forgotten, with the potential inside this child dying. That child stands before you today with a bachelor's degree in accounting. With God, all things are possible. I went on to get my master's degree in divinity so that now I am serving pastors in my country, training them with education they would never access. I'm passionate about leadership in my country, and today I'm a doctoral student at Lancaster Bible College, pursuing my PhD in leadership. You see, when I think about this, I know what God meant when he says love. Because when we obey God in our love, he does the impossible with those actions of obedience. The Lord changed my life so that today I am touching many lives. This is how my nation will change. Not short-term missions. No. It is coming to us as indigenous people and empowering us to rise up so that we're taking care now of our own issues. This is the hope of my nation. Let me summarize it this way. When I think about my experience and what happened through compassion sponsorship, I see three things happen. Compassion changes the child, as you can see today. Compassion sponsorship changes the church because it accesses a church to over 300 children in the community, which then accesses the pastor to their parents. But compassion sponsorship also changes the sponsor because Heather's life was not the same again as she heard from me stories of how my life was developing. It is a good thing to know that you're walking in obedience to God. David rejoiced when everyone in Israel was beginning to worship, when the, the Ark of the Covenant was coming in. You could see him at this highest spirit. But every time he fell and walked in sin, you saw him breaking, crying out to God. There is something wonderful about knowing I am doing what God called me to do. The good works God prepared in advance for me to do. I'd like to say to you that God has been good. He continues to be good with the millions of children around the world who are carrying a weight beyond their years. You can come alongside them and say, I'll help you lift that. You can change the trajectory of a child's life. You can come today and say, I'm going to choose to do what Heather did. She chose to live simply so that I could simply leave. May the Lord speak to you today. My prayer this morning was not that you would hear the words of man, but that God himself would speak to you and call you up to make a difference in his name. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, how deep your love is for us. The love we do not deserve at all. Yet you come and embrace us. Indeed, we sing how deep the Father's love for us. And now, Lord, you say in the same way that I have loved you, do likewise. We see your heart is passionate about the poor. We see every day you're raising the people from ashes and sitting them among kings and princes. You are constantly a God of justice. We know that there are people who will never hear your word because they do not believe that you love them, given their circumstances. Like Heather came alongside and wrote to me letters and sent me beautiful stickers that my life was healed and I came to know you. Will you show a person here today that they can do the same? They can be a Heather today. I pray these things in the matchless name, the glorious name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much. So the invitation for you is uh, that you would pray through this. I want to encourage you to do this. Um, it's $38 a month. Maybe you don't have enough to, to cover that. So maybe, you know, you get a couple of families to do it together. Um, maybe your small group does it. Um, but this is never about guilt here. At, at, at FC. This is look at God's word and provide tangible, practical ways for us to step out in faith and do these things. And, and I believe in this ministry. And so that's why we present it as an option for us to, to love our brothers and sisters all around the world in the name of Jesus in this way. And so how do you do this? Well, in the lobby, there are many children out there. So maybe you'll find like we did um, that kind of fit our criteria. We wanted somebody from Kenya and that, that we wanted a, a boy and his name had to, had to start with a B. And so, uh, because we're all B's in our family. So we found Britain. And so this is our little guy that we're gonna sponsor and uh, sponsored in the past. And it's just a wonderful experience. And, and uh, my kids are pumped up about it. And I hope you do, you will as well. So you, you get the form out there, you just fill it out and then turn it back in. Some people say, can I take it home? We really don't want you to take it home because sometimes they get lost and that information, uh, if it's lost, will take some time to kind of work through the system. So keep them here and uh, you can go through the experience. There's more children, uh, the DR kids are in, outside in that experience. What we have in the lobby are Kenya and, um, and, and Haiti. Um, pray through this. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.